and uh, you hear it often or read it often and just wanted to uh, bothers me every time I hear it and so I just thought we'd look at it this morning I want to talk about one of the Ten Commandments the stage for the Ten Commandments and we'll just read about that instead of just talking about it at this moment. Turn to uh, Exodus 19. Exodus 19, and we'll begin in verse 17. It would have been one thing for God to just give Moses the Ten Commandments, and that be it. But he didn't do it just that way. And so let's look at what he did do. Exodus 19, verse 17 uh, there's already been some instruction about what to do before, but we're t taking up at the middle, the middle end of it. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. The sm its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. When the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice. Then the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to gaze at the Lord, and many of them perish. And let the priests who come near the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. But Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you warned us, saying, Set bounds around the mountain and consecrate it. Then the Lord said to him, Away, get down and then come up, you and Aaron with you, but do not let the priest and the people break through to come to, up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and spoke to them. So, what we see is, Moses, uh, the Mount Sinai is completely in smoke. The Lord descends upon it in fire. The smoke was like a furnace. There must have been some heat there, you'd think. The whole mountain quaked greatly. So there's an earthquake going on in parts of that area, the mountain at least. And the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder. So this is a noisy affair. And all of Israel, the two, three million people, ever how many it is, are there and they're seeing and they're hearing this. And so let's look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 18 through 21, after he'd given, the, the, given them the commandments. Now all the people witnessed the thunderings, the lightning flashes, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood afar off. And they said to Moses, you speak with us and we will hear. But let not God speak with us lest we die. And Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you and that his fear may be before you so that you may not sin. So the people stood afar off, but Moses drew near the thick darkness where God was. So when the people saw all this going on, they trembled. They were afraid, which was what God expected. And we would be in the same frame uh, emotionally if we had seen it. And they, say, and they hear all this. They said, don't let God speak with us lest we die. It, terrified. 
And he did all this so that his fear would be upon them so that they may not sin. And that's God's purpose for us and for his people then is that they may not sin. And so Moses draws near to where God is. So keep all that in mind that this is the setting for what he told them in the Ten Commandments. And um, I want us to look at what this verse I want to talk about is. It's Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. We're not to lift up, take, to lift up his name or his title in a vain or a worthless or a thoughtless way. It's not supposed to happen but in a truthful way. Because the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Will not hold him guiltless. Let's look at what the New American Standard Version 95 says. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. He won't be held guiltless. He won't be held guiltless. He will not go unpunished. The NIV says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. And the New Revised Standard Version says you shall not make wrongful use of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. I just thought it was interesting, those four translations. And uh, the, the different phraseology, which I think gives us maybe a better appreciation to what God really meant when he said those things. There are three questions that should be answered. There should be looked at, and hopefully we can look at them this morning. What is it exactly is involved in taking God's name in vain or misusing his name? Why is his name so important that protecting it is one of the Ten Commandments to Israel? And what kind, of, what kind of punishment, instead of king, what kind of punishment will God hand out for breaking this commandment? So I, I want us to look at those three questions and then it'll be done. So what exactly is involved in taking the Lord's name in vain? I'm just going to have to read some verses. I guess that's the best way to describe this, to talk about this in all of this really. In Exodus 23, 1, it says, You shall not bear a false report. Do not join your hand with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. In other words, don't confirm by an oath something that's false. Use his name lightly. It, it, it struck me. Something about that, which we'll get to in just a second. In Leviticus 19, 12, he says, And you shall not swear by my name falsely, nor you shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. So we're not to use his name lightly. We're not to be a, a false witness uh, or swear by his name falsely in any possible way. And it, the thought crossed my mind about uh, taking an oath and not telling the truth as a witness. And I thought about that and I looked in, in Hebrews 6. It says, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, 
we might have strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. I took that thought right out of the middle for one little phrase I have underlined there. It is impossible for God to lie. So if he can't lie, it's impossible for him to do that. Why would we take an oath and not tell the truth? I'd take an oath in his name, I might add, and not tell the truth. We're going to talk about that more in just a few minutes. So I thought that was rather interesting. God, it's impossible for him to lie, so he doesn't want us lying either. But in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says, You are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see the, the difference in God, people that follow him, and those of the devil. He was the, the, a liar and the father of all lies, the Satan was. And there is no truth in him. When he speaks, he speaks a lie. He cannot tell the truth. It's just not part of him. But God, it is impossible for him to lie. I just thought that was interesting when, he's, when we're talking, uh, looking at these verses, don't make a false report and you shall not swear by my name falsely because he can, it's impossible for him to lie. What we are... We are to say nothing which might detract from a true appreciation of his nature and character. Who is he? What is his character that we're to say nothing to detract from it, to take away from who he is? Remember, we talked in class about David and Bathsheba and one of the things said about David, you've given great occasion for the enemies of God to, to, to think bad about God because of what you have done. And so our lives are supposed to bring glory to him and not detract from him. So this is a, a prohibition against any irreverent speaking um, against God. To not, draw, not draw any detraction from him. To do what's right. In Malachi chapter 1 in verse 6, I'm going to start in the middle of a thought, but a son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where's my honor? If I am a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. And there's more there. But he says, where's my honor? If I'm a master, if I'm a father, where's my honor? And they're honoring him by not offering, offering the right sacrifices, if I remember. So why is his name so important that protecting it is one of the ten words or the ten commandments? What's so important about him, his name? In Psalms 111, verse 9, he has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The old King James Version would say, Holy and reverend is his name. But he has sent redemption to his people. He's the only one that can offer this redemption thing that we 
we must have. He is the only one that can offer it to us. And he has command of his covenant forever. Think about him. Of all that he's done for us, and holy and awesome is his name. In Luke chapter 1, verses 49 and 50, Mary is, is speaking, but and she says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. So he's done great things for her. He's done great things for us. He's given us his, of his son. And his, his name is holy. He is... is separated from the common things in life. He is one who he is the one who will or will not extend mercy toward us. And that's determined by whether we do or do not fear him enough to obey him. And he can extend that mercy. He sent redemption. He offered us redemption and we should fear him and do what he says. And he also says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This commandment in Exodus 20, verse 7, does not, did not exclude legitimate oaths taken in God's name. It did not. So, uh, in matter of fact, in Deuteronomy 10, verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God, you shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. They were permitted to take an oath in God's name. But in Leviticus chapter 22, verse 32, you shall not profane my holy name, but I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. We're not to profane, not to treat with contempt his holy name. He says, I will be hallowed. When, when uh, Jesus was teaching his disciples to pray, he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Son recognized the Father as hallowed, holy and hallowed, same thing. Uh, and he's the one that sanctified. He's, he's the one that sets us apart because of his mercy toward us. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 through 37, Jesus had something to say also about making, taking oaths. He said, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is a footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. So let's see. In the, when God gave the Ten Commandments, they said, don't take my name in vain. You can swear by my, oath, by my name in an oath that was permitted. But Jesus, wonder why he said differently. Because he's establishing a new law. And this law takes precedent over the old. 
You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. So our what we have to say in verse uh, 37, yet your, let your yes be yes, your no, no, for whatever is more than these is from the evil one. What we say and the way we live should be enough message to people that say, if we say we'll do something, it's we'll do it. Our yes will be our yes, and our no will be no, and we shouldn't even have to use an oath or a promise or swear to anything to tell the truth. As a matter of fact, in James chapter 5 and verse 12, But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. Let your yes be yes and your no, no, lest you fall into judgment. So with all that, this is what I want to talk about for a couple, a few minutes right here. Today, today, if you're ever on Facebook, you're going to see this all the time. OMG. We know what it means. I'm not going to say it. And we see, we hear this all the time. And used to, you heard that a lot. Lordy, have mercy. I have a friend. Actually, I go. It's a working acquaintance. I go into one of the, the funeral homes, and he runs it for a for a man. And if he answers the phone and it's a serious call, the one of the first things he's going to say is, oh, Lord. Or if somebody came in the door and he hadn't seen them in a long time, he turns around and looks at him and say, oh, Lord. It's all the time. He and I have had some biblical discussions. And he would consider himself a, quote, unquote, religious man. But his concept of things about God are very loose very loose and so this is stating oh lord all all day is just not something he even thinks about and that's the problem with all with these three right here and there's much more and the recognized unacceptable profanity is people say these things and have no thought about god and about how holy he is how great he is and what he does for us it's just mindless babble, I don't know, um, that is no thought is given, worthless speech. And we hear it all the time. If you're on Facebook, if you're just walking down the street, you're going to hear it uh, in some way, in some fashion. If two people get mad at each other, it, it, it's liable to come out in that unacceptable profanity range right there. We, it's all the time. It's all the time. And I was thinking about it, and people just don't know how to express joy or sorrow or surprise or anything without in some loose way using the Lord's name or his power or his uh, title, rather. And so that's what we face every day. And I don't want us to do that. And I don't, I'm not saying anybody does. But we're not around each other all that much, if you, if you, if you understand. Just, to, just some thoughts that this is what is unacceptable to the Lord. And he won't have it. He is holy, and he expects us to know it. He is above reproach. And if you think about it, 
In Exodus 3, verse 5, when Moses is, has seen the burning bush and he's drawing near to it, God says, don't come in here. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. It, he hadn't even said anything to God. Take off your sandals. This is holy ground. Moses struck the rock in in uh, uh, Numbers chapter 20, verses 11 and 12, God told him that the people were complaining they wanted water. God said, speak to the rock and it'll bring water. And so he struck the rock. And he says, Moses said, must we provide, I don't remember exactly how it's phrased. We're not going to read it. But um, what God said was, you did not hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. You did not treat him as holy, basically, is what he's saying. Didn't have anything to do with a profanity or anything. He said, you just didn't even treat me holy. He says, I will be treated holy. In Jonah chapter 1, the sea is raging because Jonah is going where he's not supposed to be going. And the, they, the men of the ship, he tells them to throw him in the, river, the sea, and they do. And then the men feared ex the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. And the ship's crew threw him in the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. They knew that his God indeed was worthy of fear. And so they offered sacrifices to him. They feared the Lord exceedingly because of who he is. If you, interesting thought, in 70 men were commissioned to write, translate the Hebrew Old Testament into a readable modern version back in the 300s of B.C. called the Septuagint, you recognize that it was not written by the LXX, the 70. 70 men were commissioned to translate to common everyday Greek that the Jews all over could read, and therefore other people could as well. And so what they did is they wouldn't even write his name. They translated his name, the, the four consonants there, Lord, instead of mispronouncing his name. That's how much respect they had for it. I think that's rather interesting. When we read capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D in the Old Testament, that's really what they put in there instead of put God's name because they didn't want anybody to read it right or speak it wrong. And that might show disrespect by them. As a, as a result of what Moses did by not treating God holy, he wasn't allowed to go into the promised land. Neither did Aaron. So what kind of punishment will God hand out for those who take his name in vain? Well, he can punish us any way he wishes. But certainly it will be failure for us if we aren't with him in heaven after this life. And that will be punishment enough. Just If nothing else, that would be punishment, not being with him. 
In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 31, it says, For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He says that after he had talked about, one thing, making the blood of the covenant by which they were sanctified a common or unholy thing by not following God, by not doing what, uh, not honoring Jesus in what he had done, by doing despite to the spirit of grace, all these things. And he says, I'll take vengeance on you. Just think of the blood that Jesus shed is not holy. Just think about that. And the punishment that results is vengeance. And it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In Matthew 10, verse 28, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. He's going to send out retribution and it'll be a terrifying thing for us. Take his name lightly. To use it in a way in which we don't even think. And say things that are an affront to him. In Psalm chapter 2 and verse 11, it says, Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. We're supposed to have the same attitude toward God that the people of Israel had, that we fear him if we fall into his hands. We should not take his name lightly. And I hope we think about that. I'm not accusing anybody, but it's just something that bothers me because it happens all the time. When I was in basic training in the Army in 1969, a little bit after Jerry, but Jerry, he'll know, in our company, we were in Fort Polk, Louisiana. In our company, there were people from the big cities up north. And there were people from, in my platoon, from Oklahoma and Louisiana and Mississippi and Alabama. And maybe a couple from Arkansas. But I heard some things in, in basic training that I never heard in my life. I thought, whoa. And it stuck with me to this day. And it's like, wow. How can you even say some of that? How can you even think it? But it happens. It just, it just happens, and that's what we're faced with. It doesn't need to rub off into us, into our vocabulary. We need to just let it alone or correct. If you need to respond to the call of the gospel, I know this hasn't been a, uh, any thoughts that would uh, teaching about how to be saved. But if you do need to be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins or make a matter right in your life, why don't you come while we stand and while we sing?